Welcome to episode 8 of the Invite Along podcast. Hello world, this is Juan. And this is Quentin. We're an international couple traveling around the world for love, work, and the pursuit of wonder. Through this podcast, we invite you to come along with us as we discover places near and far while treading lightly and not breaking the bank. Vietnam, baby! After our trek down all three Thai capital cities, we have now landed in northern Vietnam. We hopped around a bunch during that first week, starting with Hanoi. Constantly bustling and moving, this city definitely required us some time to adapt, but we took it slow and learned to embrace the chaos, which served us well on the second stop of our trip in Kappa Island. Trust me, there is no time to rest here as we made our way to the Ningbing district two days later. We'll tell you all about that. But before, we'll give you some pointers about Vietnam as a whole. Yeah, very briefly, this is an S-shaped country located on the east of Southeast Asia, and it borders the South China Sea. Its capital city is Ho Chi Minh City in the south, also known as Saigon. It's its former name, but people still call it that. And its second largest city is Hanoi in the north. Many travelers you meet along the way are heading either north to south or vice versa on their Vietnam trip. However, we heard that arriving at the Ho Chi Minh International Airport was much more hectic than the Hanoi one. Uh, the Vietnamese people speak Vietnamese, which is written in the Latin alphabet, but it is a tonal language influenced by Chinese. And the currency is the Vietnamese dong, which has the pretty insane exchange rate of 24,000 dong to one US dollar. So for this episode and the following ones, we'll discuss prices in US dollars because it's really hard to gauge things when we say 2 million dong and it's just like 80 bucks. Okay, okay, let's take a second to explain our itinerary this week. In a nutshell, we started in the north and only planned to cover northern and central Vietnam during our two weeks in the country. We left Bangkok on June 30th to take a short flight to Hanoi, Vietnam. We breezed through the airport without any issue and arrived at our hotel 30 minutes later by taxi. Our hotel was in the middle of Old Quarter. We stayed four nights and on July 4th, we had a very complicated travel day stringing together motorbike, bus, ferry, more bus to reach Kat Bat Town, which is the main town of Kat Bat Island. Mind you, this was all under one booking from Hanoi to Kat Bat arranged by the hotel. The Kappa Island is on the east coast of Vietnam and is the biggest island in the Halong Bay area. After two days on the island, we took the bus, then ferried the bus, so the same itinerary, but this time to Ning Bing province, where we stayed in the bucolic town of Tam Kok, just a few kilometers away from Ning Bing city. Ning Bing is a province just south of Hanoi, and many people just take a day trip to Ning Bing or even Kappa Island and Halong Bay. However, since we were heading south, we made it a pit stop. And how much did that all cost, and what did we do to plan? Well, it's time for takeoff, where we discuss our very limited planning and our budget. (laughs) Yes, very limited. Well, actually, the flight to Hanoi was actually planned well in advance, because we needed to have a flight out of Thailand to apply for the Thailand Pass that was required to enter the country. Uh, We simply chose to stay in Thailand as long as we could, and we booked something on the last day we could legally stay in the country. So we arrive on June 1st, we could stay 30 days, 
so we booked a flight on the 30th of June. For the accommodation, we picked it a few days early because it was needed for the Vietnam visa, and we picked the Dream Central Hotel, also used to be known as the New Vision Palace Hotel, it just changed name, and that was quite cheap, about $14 per night. Uh, oh, and speaking of visa, there's a bunch of resources online that will tell you to do a visa on arrival, but that's actually not possible since COVID. If you try to do it, you will run into error messages left and right. Online resources have simply not been updated. Uh, instead, what you need to do is the e-visa, and that's what we did. It's a visa you do online. It costs $25 US dollars. It requires an address in Vietnam, hence the hotel. And it takes about three working days to get through. We got ours a couple of days early, actually. In terms of how we got from Hanoi to Cat Ba, we asked the manager at the Dream Center Hotel, Tin, to help us book the trip. He was very kind and booked the whole thing and made a bunch of informal calls. <laughs> and this entire trip cost us about $15 per person, which he booked through Good Morning Cat Ba. In general, that's been a constant in Vietnam, even more than in Thailand. The most convenient and often the cheapest way to do things is actually just to ask the help of your hosts, because there's a lot of scam companies and we don't speak the language, and a lot of things are just not even listed on the internet. So it was really helpful to rely on our hosts and the hotel staff. So this is what will happen when we try to book things on our own. <laughs> so... Ahead of staying in Kappa, we actually booked an Airbnb. The reservation did not exist. It did not. No. So when we arrived in Kappa with our big backpacks to the hotel, which was listed as an Airbnb, the lady did not speak any English. She looked at us. She was very confused, but very polite and just waved no. <laughs> and there was a really, really nice girl named Zoe she was Vietnamese, she's a university student, and an actual guest at this hotel. And she helped us translate and we figured out that, oh, actually, this hotel was using Airbnb pre-pandemic, but it did not since the pandemic. It was not malicious, it was just kind of lost in the pandemic shuffle. So we ended up at the Pod Hostel for two nights, one private room at $14 a night, which was awesome, it had a sea view, and then one queen bed in a shared dorm pod that was $10 a night. But the manager at the hostel was super nice. It was a man named Tai Fu and did a great job. Yeah, yeah, we had a great time there all together. And from the pod hostel, we were able to book our trip to uh, the Ninh Binh Tam Kok area, literally by just walking next door to the hostel and finding the Katba Ventures office and we booked our trip to Ninbin for $15 per person. And for staying in Tamcock, we simply booked on Agoda uh, two days prior. Uh, Agoda so far has served us very well, we've never had any issues with it. We stayed at Lee's Homestay, which is a very nice property with a pool for $15 a night, so again very cheap. And Lise, who gave her name to her homestay, was very, very helpful. She had laundry service, she had bike rental, she helped us arrange the onward bus journeys for us for the coming weeks. She walked us to the bus stations, she waited with us, and she even gave us snacks, delicious pineapple. Basically the best hostess ever. So that's how we got to all the places, but what did we do throughout this week? Well, quite a lot it turns out. It's now time for in-flight entertainment. And we're going to start with Hanoi. 
Now, Hanoi, uh, there are a lot of things to see, a lot of things to do. We're going to explain them in terms of sort of sites and then more precisely some museums that we've seen and some food, drink or culture that we've experienced. Uh, to start with the sites, we essentially started our first day in Hanoi with a self-guided tour through the Old Quarter, which included the St. Joseph Cathedral. And when we got to the St. Joseph Cathedral, we were surprised to see it open because we had heard it was not often open, uh, the, the main doors were not often open for tourists. And that's because we had walked into a funeral. Uh, it took us a few minutes to realize why everyone was dressed so, so solemnly. So we just took a very quick peek and then we very respectfully stepped out. We didn't try to take pictures or anything. Throughout this self-guided tour, we also saw the Huan Kiem Lake, which is sort of the central lake of the Old Quarter and its associated temple, which is very cool and explained the story of the Huan Kiem Lake, whose name means the Lake of the Return Sword, because normally that lake is supposed to host a magical turtle deity who had lended a sword to the emperor and the emperor had to give it back. In terms of actual museums that we saw, uh, the one that for me really left an impression was the Hualo Prison, which is in a French quarter directly south of the Old Quarter. The Hualo Prison was the prison used by the French colonists to, amongst other things, jail political prisoners and execute some of them. And this is where you can relearn really an aspect of French history which I did not learn in school about, despite being French. Obviously, we learn about sort of the Indochina period, but we did not hear about this prison, and it was essentially barely better than a concentration camp. Uh, it had absolutely terrible... I'm sorry, find another word. Um, it had absolutely deplorable living conditions. Loads of people just got sick, died from illness, died from sickness, died from fighting, uh, died from malnutrition, that sort of thing, and it was an absolutely uh, damning, um, I would say, example of what the French did in Vietnam and that I was not aware of. I would say, however, the, the, the museum is a bit one-sided because there's also a section about American prisoners of war, including John McCain, the previous um, senator, and that part of the museum was really trying to convince us that the American prisoners of war were living a perfectly happy life, they were treated very nicely, they had a grand old time, when if you read American articles about the subject, they would have a different opinion on the matter, and would say, no, no, it was terrible at that time as well. We then hit up the Women's Museum, which was actually just a short walking distance from the Hollow Prison. And this was actually a really wonderful museum. <laughs> I think we were the only people there. Um, and it showed different aspects of Vietnamese culture and the different cultures' approaches to womanhood, motherhood, marriage, childbirth, women in current society, revolutionary women, etc. It had a wonderful display of different ethnic minority groups. And some were actually matrilineal, so it was really interesting learning about them. There was also a ethnic costumes display so you can see what these amazing costumes looked like and I thought it was interesting that the women in history exhibit 
let's say, just featured women over the past 100 years and not beforehand. I thought maybe that name could have been made more clear that it was a specific time in history about revolution and about the American War. We also visited the much-renowned Museum of Ethnology, which did deep dives into different cultures and customs and folklore and beliefs around Vietnam. Vietnam is a country with 54 ethnic minority groups, and I thought the museum did a good job featuring some of them, including reproductions of traditional stilt houses, and you can even go up into the houses in the gardens. I say up into because some of them are on incredibly high stilts to keep the residents safe from wildlife or flooding, so that was really cool. I think it also keeps them safe from people like me who are just afraid of heights and would then just not visit their neighbors. <laughs> right. It was kind of scary to go up, yeah, honestly. Yeah, those ladders were narrow. Again, check our Instagram stories if you want to see how tall these stilts were. We then visited the Temple of Literature, which is not exactly a museum in the sense that you would think. It's not like an enclosed space, but this was a beautiful temple built to honor Confucius. So Vietnam, like China, had a system of civil service exams where officials were selected based on their test scores and they were tested on Confucian ideals. So there was a temple of literature built by the emperor at the time. And now students, even to this day, go with their parents to pray for good luck before exams and getting good grades. There was nice turtles, it was a nice quiet oasis, and some shade during a very hot day. Very hot. <laughs> Lastly, we visited the Museum of Fine Arts, which was housed in a beautiful colonial building, and I was really excited to see the number of Asian artists represented from historic time all the way to modern day contemporary artists. So I'll talk about that later, but it was an excellent museum and I highly recommend and definitely allot yourself more time than we did, which was about two hours. In terms of culture and other activities that we did around town, we did purchase tickets and attended a water puppet show, which was fantastic. I thought it was going to be very gimmicky, but actually it was awesome. Uh, I also really like the Water Puppet Theatre. I would mention the music. Like, there was actually a live band, and they were doing an amazing job. Like, completely, uh, I mean, it was really well rehearsed. I really liked it. Oh, yeah, that monochord instrument was incredible. Yeah, it's very impressive, and it has such a particular recognizable sound. I really loved it. Uh, yeah, but on my end, I have mentioned, I think, uh, before in previous episodes that I love calligraphy, and my goal is that in any country where we spend enough time, I would like to take a calligraphy lesson. And I was able to do so in Hanoi with a true calligraphy master of the Vietnamese style of calligraphy, which was an amazing time for me. As I explained earlier, uh, Vietnamese had this particularity where it is a language that has been influenced by Chinese, and when it's pronounced, it's usually pronounced as like sort of one syllable at a time, with a tone associated with a syllable, which is similar to how Mandarin is pronounced, but it is written with the Latin alphabet and a bunch of accents and diacritics and whatnot. And the calligraphy kind of followed the same idea, where it is written, like I said, with the Latin alphabet, but instead of using the traditional tools of Western calligraphy, like nibs and hard quills and the likes, 
they use actual brushes and the exact same and the exact same tools that you use for Chinese calligraphy. And that gives a very particular flow to the way they write calligraphy and it's very enjoyable to to work with. You really feel you really think about how you breathe, you really think about what energy you're putting into your brush, about how you hold it. Uh, I had an amazing time and my teacher and the translator that was with him were really patient with me and it had the added bonus of actually taking place on the infamous train street, uh, the street in Hanoi that's very narrow where the train passes and essentially when it passes you don't even have room between the front of the shops and the train. There's not enough room for even a person to be there. So as I was doing my calligraphy I would have trains coming past me, whizzing past me at like less than three feet away from me. So that was a very incredible experience. And you booked this through the Zoe Project. Oh, yes, yes. Yeah, the, the place I, I did that is called the Zoe Project. So that's written Z-O. I think it's pronounced Joe, actually, but it's written Z-O. And you'll find it, like I said, on Train Street. Uh, it's a relatively small project to um, promote the fabrication and the sale and the uh, preservation of traditional, traditionally made uh, papers that are made, again, by sort of minority ethnicities in the mountains near Hanoi. Speaking of culture, we also sampled the incredible food culture of northern Vietnam, which is actually really foreign to me. In the States, even though we have many Vietnamese restaurants, these restaurants are typically opened by Vietnamese people who immigrated from southern Vietnam, which makes sense because they were fleeing communism or the war, and they brought southern Vietnamese-style food. So I got to try so many foods that I had never even heard of until I got to Hanoi. And this included bún cha, chá ca, chê, and northern-style pho, which is very different from southern-style. Do you have a favorite? Ooh, I think bún cha. Yeah, I think I would go for bún cha as well. It's so nice. And for folks listening who do not know what bún cha is, bún cha is kind of marinated grilled pork that you dip with noodles and a bunch of fresh herbs into this like tangy, sweet, fishy sauce. It's most excellent. I concur. Another thing that's excellent in Hanoi is the coffee. You might know this already, but Vietnam has a pretty proud tradition of making coffee their own style. So you have to kind of lean into it and move away from the usual lattes and cappuccinos and whatnot. And one aspect of that coffee culture that's very nice is the cafes themselves. A lot of them are hidden around town. Two in particular that we really liked was the Loading Tea Cafe and the Foco Cafe. But there are also cafes that are not particularly hidden but have a recall theme. And our favorite in that category is the Kong Cafe that has this kind of communist theme to it and it does look very aesthetically pleasing (laughs) even the coffee shop workers are all dressed in a communist style i can't quite explain it but it's like that very specific hue of green that is for sure the communist green contrasted against uh, the red star yeah i think we all have at least one friend from like high school university that was like really into Marxist literature and was wearing that exact shade of green. (laughs) At least that's an experience we all have in France. I don't know if that's the same in the US. Whilst drinking coffee? Whilst drinking coffee, absolutely. And smoking cigarettes. 
We demand con cafes in France now.、Oh, yeah, I think that would be very successful. <laughs> you heard it here first. <laughs> yeah, if it happens in ten years, please let us know, and we want some royalties. Yeah, so to just jump to the general observations about Hanoi, one thing that we really want to、uh, emphasize is it's a very interesting, very fascinating place, but is also exhausting both physically and mentally. There are simply a lot of people. It really feels like the city is not big enough for all the people that interact and live in it. There's constant traffic. Constantly, people、uh, on the street, on the pavement, where there's room on the pavement, which is rare because often motorbikes are parked on the pavement instead.、Uh, there's constant honking because people honk on the street just as a way to warn others that they're here. The Vietnamese way of driving is essentially less about you know slowing down or predicting what the others are going to do, and much more about just announcing your presence by honking and hoping for the best. And I guess because everyone does that at the same time, it does work, right? It's just it's a very different paradigm of driving to the one I'm used to.、Uh, essentially, that also means that when you're not used to it, you kind of fear for death every time you're crossing the street.、Uh, you're also getting hounded by the vendors, and of course, now that we're sort of getting into that post-COVID period,、uh, they're really trying to make a living. We understand that, but it's not easy to constantly having to dodge people left and right. Whether they're on motorbikes or trying to sell you stuff, people sometimes describe Hanoi as being an assault on the senses, and it's a bit of a harsh statement. But I can see why. Yes, it took us at least three or four times crossing the street to with someone else. Like we just stood behind a local person and kind of just like shuffled next to them. Um, to like learn how to cross the street, and you know, you read about people saying, "Okay, cross at a constant speed," but it is so scary. Like you know that people are gonna swerve around you, but I still froze at least twice and probably almost got myself killed. And I did not feel like they were actually swerving that much. <laughs> I feel a couple times we froze because otherwise that person would have definitely run us over. Yeah, phew, that was rough. Oh, and the pollution was pretty bad too. Actually, yeah, yeah, it's a consequence of it, right? But in terms of transit, we actually tried out the bus system, and that was awesome because a bus is basically a giant tank barreling through traffic, right? <laughs> <laughs> so you're super protected. It was very cheap, reliable, and I felt again like I was in this metal bubble of protection. It was only seven thousand dong per person per ride, which is about thirty cents, and it got you where you needed to go. It was great. And lastly,、uh, this I really appreciated about Hanoi is on the weekends around Hakim Lake, they actually close all the streets and make it into a walking street area. So, thankfully. There is some peace and quiet. Oh, not really peace and quiet, because then every single person is out there walking. But at least some peace from the scooters, and you can just see all the families and stuff. But what I thought was actually hilarious and very ironic is in these walking streets, there are little vendors for kids where they can rent practice motorbikes, <laughs> get them started early, <laughs> <laughs> and honestly, I think the kids were better drivers, average. <laughs> All right, moving on to our next destination, Kapa Island. 
First of all, we want to give a big shout out to our new friends, Irene, Daniel, and Celia, who became our friends on the ferry and then helped us to find a place to stay because they were actually staying at the pod hostel and were so kind to find us a room there. So more about them in our next episode as well. Stay tuned. In terms of sites on Katbai Island, there are numbered beaches. So you can go to beach number one, two, or three. And all, unfortunately, were extremely busy and pretty dirty. Honestly, it was just not a fantastic experience. But there was a rock trail that connected two different beaches, and that was really nice. It was a substantial walk. We saw a small snake, but it's okay. It was pretty peaceful, and you got a great view of Halong Bay. Kapat Tao was also extremely busy, so we arrived on a Monday night, and we stayed Monday night and Tuesday night. We found that Monday night was super, super, super packed and busy. Tuesday was much better. So if you were to go, maybe don't go on the weekends or Monday. We then booked an Airbnb experience full day boat tour of Lanhan Bay, which is at the bottom of Halong Bay. So we booked it because hearsay that it is a quieter experience than Halong Bay. And we did see some beautiful sceneries, some fishing villages, although some were quite polluted. And we got to kayak in caves and then jump off the boat for some swimming and had lunch on board. And this is the first time I've ever eaten a mantis shrimp. In terms of other things that we did, well, the big one is that on a first day, we actually went motorbiking. So for the context, when we were in Thailand, we hesitated at some point, if you remember, to grab a motorbike. Because, you know, we didn't necessarily feel super comfortable doing that in a foreign country. What if we get into an accident? And honestly, I would have preferred to have my first motorbiking experience in like 20 odd years uh, to be in Thailand. Because we had been told that Kadba was the right place to learn motorbiking. I think whoever said that never tried to motorbike in Kadba. It was actually very stressful. On that Monday, as we explained, there were loads of people visiting the island. Mostly local tourists, mostly Vietnamese people. But that meant a constant stream of buses of various sizes. Some very small that sort of just go around the island. Other larger ones that are coming from an outside city and sort of ferrying into the, the island. But that means just so much traffic left, right, north, south. Uh, it was very practical to go around, like, uh, it was really practical to go around. The motorbike is definitely just the right range and just the right size to kind of make your way through it, but Katba on a busy day, it is not the place to learn. In general, we found Katbat town to be much busier than expected, and mostly by locals because right now they are on school holidays, so there's lots of families. Um... But we're very grateful to have met our new friends, which is actually something that I was telling Quentin, oh, I kind of miss that hostile experience. I miss having friends and meeting new people in a common area. So we got that experience. Next, we went to Ningbing. So Ningbing and the Tamcock area was amazing, super gorgeous, everything you could ever dream of, of a beautiful countryside experience. There were rice paddies with the typical limestone karst stones. So the Ningbing area is called Halong Bay on land, and that's basically exactly what it is, minus all the tourists. Honestly, if I think I was going to do this over again, I would skip Halong Bay and recommend going straight to Temkok, the small town, and have that as my base for exploring. 
just make sure that you go on a weekday instead of weekend, because apparently on the weekends there's a lot of local tourists coming from Hanoi. Or if you're going to be on Cap Ba, maybe try one of the inland homestays instead of staying at. In Tamcock, we were able to rent bikes. There were actually a lot of local people on bikes instead of scooters, so we felt quite safe just biking around the countryside. After getting our bike from our homestay, we were able to see a lot of the major sites by bike, and really enjoy that rice paddy, goats roaming kind of vibe. We first biked to the Bikdong Pagoda, which is this gorgeous pagoda on the mountainside with a hidden trail to a shrine that's in a cave. It's incredible. And of course, if you're following Quentin on Instagram, you'll see all of the warnings of what to do when you violate karma. Oh, yes, those were edifying, truly. Uh, another of the temples that we saw was the Taivi Temple, actually very close to our homestay. It's beautiful in and of itself, but I would say the nicest part is the short bike ride to it because you are really in the middle of those rice paddies. It's incredibly peaceful. It's incredibly beautiful. There is a very, again, peaceful cemetery on the way. Uh, we did not wander through the tombstones, but we you know, looked at it from a respectable distance. Uh, we had already crashed a funeral that week, so we didn't want to. <laughs> we didn't want to get into any more trouble with uh, the dearly departed. But the cemetery was along the banks of a river, and on this river there were people rowing boats with their feet, which is the traditional method of rowing in this part of the world. And that was awesome to see. Yes, yes, and again, it added to this sort of peaceful charm. We just had like a couple of boats passing by, and you have this quiet cemetery. And then we, uh, somehow with our bikes, we sort of ended up in the middle of a goat herd. Like one goat was trying to join the others and we were in the path. And because the path was small, it couldn't. And so we were upsetting the goats. So we just moved along and went to the temple itself. Uh, another uh, stop that we made that's a pretty popular one is the Chirang'an boat tour. So there are several boat tours you can do in the Tamcock area, including at the Tamcock Lake itself. The Chang'an boat tour is maybe a 40-minute bike ride from uh, Tamcock. It's very beautiful again. You are in those rivers that kind of snake their way around the limestone karst. And it also goes into the caves that are again sort of dug by the rivers over time. We went to one of the longest and most low-ceiling caves uh, that you can find. It's about one kilometer long and it's so low that you kind of have to bend down and be really tiny in your boat, uh, which is a bit scary but very cool at the same time. The scenery is amazing. The small fly in the ointment is that one guy on the boat we were on was kind of a maybe teenager, early 20s, and he was just pretty impolite. He was smoking. At some point he like you know, whipped out his phone and started listening to very loud TikTok songs and TikTok like live streams of some kind. And that just kind of did not fit with the vibe of peace and quiet and serenity in the middle of the mountains. Um, <laughs> but I think after a while, so his mom was also with him on a boat. And I think after a while, she did tell him off. And at the end, they were just doing a um, like a video call with the family to show them the, the landscape. And that was a bit loud, but that was much more enjoyable because they were sharing 
like the cool thing they were doing with the family. So we didn't mind at all. Yeah, we were in that video call, Quinton. Yeah, we ended up in the video <laughs> call. If you're a white guy in Vietnam, that you're just gonna be—that's uh, just gonna happen. When we were on the rock trail on Cat Ba, one guy just stopped me to take a picture with me. So now I'm forever in a random Vietnamese family's like family book. That's like, right. Photo album. That's, that's right, because Daniel said he pointed to you and said Westerner. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. So, in for context, Daniel, the friend who we met here, is Vietnamese American. So he does speak a good amount of Vietnamese and sometimes he's able to uh, tell us what the people around us are saying. It's very funny. Oh, and one last stop we did in the Tam Kok Ninh Binh area is Hang Mua, uh, very well known for being this very steep climb of 700 steps, roughly. We did not count them. At the top, there is this beautiful, uh, very tiny but beautiful pagoda with a statue of Guan Yin, the Chinese deity of compassion that we mentioned in a previous episode. There's also a well-known stone dragon, which appeared, amongst other things, in an episode of The Amazing Race, which we both really like. I want to also mention that at Trinine, each of the tours, there are three of them, boat tours, and each of them is like three hours minimum. <laughs> um, be ready. You have to pick, and they do different stops. We picked tour number three, which included this very long cave. But three hours is a long time. So in the end, Quentin and I were paddling like crazy to help the lady who's actually piloting this boat because we're like, it's time to go. <laughs> it's been a long time. Yeah, in the boat, they're like, yeah, a pair of like small extra paddles. I don't know if we were helping much, but we tried. All right. And then the second day where we were in Temco, we kind of just took it easy. And that was actually where some really nice travel magic moments happen. So first we took ourselves to, of course, another coffee place. This is a recurring theme called Brick Coffee House. Quentin had just found it on Google Maps and we were the only clients there. So we got to hang out with the owner, Quan. And lo and behold, Quan is a huge gardener, and we got along super well. He did a private tour of his garden for me. He showed me all of the plants that he's growing, including tea. I had never seen a tea tree. I thought they were bushes. But no, he had a tea tree that went all the way up to the second floor. And he plucked some leaves and made us green tea right in there, and then added a jasmine flower for jasmine green tea. It was amazing. He also showed us how to make coffee. So I was actually going to book uh, some sort of a tour to learn how to make Vietnamese-style coffee and egg coffee. But he was just like, oh, yeah, I'll show you. And he did a little private one-on-one -on -one tutorial of how he did it. And it was awesome. So it was great to just connect with a fellow gardener and geek out over coffee. Then we also had another awesome moment where we saw some kids playing volleyball. And then we decided, you know what? Why not? We'll join you. So we were able to play and it was actually really fun. Shout out to the Champaign-Urbana volleyball gang. Did you know that you guys actually prepared us to have an awesome cultural experience? <laughs> yeah, thank you very much. Yeah, and that's about what we did in the Tamcock area. So to give you some general observations again, honestly, this was the quiet, beautiful place we were hoping for. We highly recommend for people, uh, people going there. 
rent some bicycles, just go around, spend a day just seeing all those beautiful spaces, these pagodas, these rice paddies. And in our case, that was also a great time to hang out with our new friends, Irene, Daniel, and Celia. Uh, we shared some meals, we shared some experiences, we just had a great time. Right, so, as you've heard already, here at Invited Along Podcast, we tell you everything. The good and the bad. So where were our turbulences this week? So for me, it was the general busyness uh, that we had in Hanoi and Kadba. So we had specifically gone to Kadba to tour the Lanha Bay, which was supposed to be the less busy one. There weren't that many boats, but really a huge number of tourists on the island. Uh, the bay itself, like we said, was very polluted, a lot of trash, a lot of pollution. Uh, so that really brought visual clutter as well as, you know, mental clutter and auditory clutter with all the honking. So it was just a lot for our tiny adult brains to take in. Uh, I think if you grow up more in that environment, it's easier. But for us, we were... It really took us a while to get used to it, so I would call it a turbulence all in all. Another turbulence for me was also riding the motorbike. As I explained, it was extremely stressful because there were so many people. I kind of feel bad because it, it left a bit of a sour taste in my mouth, and I think that if I had uh, biked more on a Tuesday or in any other situation on a less busy day, it would have been much more enjoyable. And finally, the other turbulence I have for you, because I have many this week, uh, is the douchey guy on the boat. Like playing TikTok live streams or whatever, as we are on a boat, uh, supposedly in a very serene place. What the hell, dude? And as for me, I would say it was definitely my Airbnb reservation that ended up not being a thing. Luckily for us, Airbnb did resolve the issue quickly and we were able to secure an accommodation at a hostel and they gave us a $25 voucher to rebook. <laughs> I tried to rebook this again um, at a later location in Vietnam and had my host cancel on me. So that's another story for another day. But basically, don't use Airbnb in Vietnam. It is still recovering from the pandemic. I think maybe if you travel in a few months or maybe a few years, Things will get sorted out, but until then, maybe stick with Agoda. Now on to the Flying High segment, where we talk about our highlights of the week. For me, it was making friends. I love meeting strangers, and now not strangers, on the road. I also loved biking around Ningbing, which was incredibly picturesque, as I'm sure you're tired of hearing. And then lastly, I really enjoyed going to the Fine Arts Museum, this is the first time in my life where I was in a museum where all the artists and the subjects were Asian. As an Asian American woman, this was just so bizarre to me, but so eye-opening. I got actually kind of emotional at the museum because this museum didn't have just old stuff, right? Ancient stuff. It also had so many different creatives from you know, throughout the years, even contemporary artists. They were using traditional methods that I didn't even know about. I mean, I knew that they were vaguely Chinese or Asian somewhere in my mind, but I didn't see them in action. So for example, the museum had a huge lacquer art collection, which, you know, I just thought was like furniture, but actually, no, there were so many cool creative uses of lacquer work. And then it also had an amazing silk painting 
collection as well. And also the subjects depicted everything from, you know, turn of the century to modern day. And unfortunately, a lot of subjects were regarding the Vietnam War or what they call the American War. And to see discussions of politics, to see identity represented in art was just incredible. I can't believe I'm like, you know, in my 30s. And this is the first time I got to see something like this. It was really special. Well, now my flying high comparison is going to seem very shallow. (laughs) (laughs) Again, you know, we're on the same trip, but different journeys. And that's okay. Yeah, exactly. No, I mean, uh, I'm very glad that you had the experience. I think it's probably a very, it's, for me, it's interesting in the sense that it also challenged a notion that I didn't even know I had, which is obviously I grew up seeing mostly people that look like me in artwork and I never questioned it. So it was a very, I had sort of the opposite uh, experience and it was also very positive for me for what it's worth. But the one I had chosen for my flying high was the, actually the hidden cafes in Hanoi. (laughs) Again, not as deep, not as deep. All I want to say is that they're cool cafes (laughs) And they're hidden, and it's cool finding them and having ca- and having some coffee there. No, particularly the uh, the loading tea cafe, which was the first one we we went to in Hanoi. If you know what you're looking for, you can find it. But if you don't know, there's a cafe that you would never see it. Very important to have this kind of reprieve from the madness of the Hanoi streets again, because a lot of these cafes, because they're hidden, they're far away enough from the traffic and all that that you don't really get the sound and and etc and the and the busyness. So another my flying high is riding a motorbike. I know I've put it as a turbulence. I can do what I want. It's my podcast. <laughs> it's our podcast. But I put it as riding a motorbike because yeah, it was a scary experience and uh, when I was doing it, I remember saying explicitly I hate this, I hate this, I hate I hate this. But at the same time, I also loved it. I pushed my limits. I did something I hadn't done before. And now I also feel that if I ever need to grab a motorbike to go anywhere else in the world, it will feel like an absolute breeze. So I'm looking forward to it. And this week, we have a new question from a follower on Instagram asking where the hidden cafe in Hanoi was. So there's actually a lot of hidden cafes in Hanoi, especially in the old quarter, but the most famous one, which paradoxically, maybe the worst hidden one, is called Café Foucault, and it can be found close to the Joachim Lake, and you find it by walking through a silk shop called Silk Like. If you search it on Google, it might come up as Old Town Café. So every floor has a view, but there is a rooftop that offers the best view. So you have to keep, keep, keep going up these winding stairs until you reach the roof. So thank you for that question. And thank you to What The Flow YouTube channel for the recommendation in the first place. All right, that's all folks for this week. Next week, we are continuing our trip in Vietnam by taking a sleeper bus to the ancient citadel of Hue and the beautiful town of Hoi An in central Vietnam. In the meantime, we would love it if you would follow us on Instagram at Invited Along Podcast. And you can also reach us by email at invitealong at gmail.com. So long for now. Bye-bye.